Today we continue, uh, we close out a series uh, that uh, has been going on for a while, uh, on, for about four weeks or so, on change. We started the year with the conversation, um, and we talked about the, the need to have courageous conversations. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Courageous conversations. But I said you can't talk all of your life. There are some things you need to develop a list and say, these are the things I need to talk about, things I need to look at, my finances, my my relationships, my children, and have a courageous conversation about those things. And once you talk about them, then you have to move to courageous change because you can't talk all your life. Some people spend all their life talking, all their life saying, I'm going to make these changes, and they write notes and they write plans out, and then they never, ever change. Next week, I'm going to take you on a journey. I'm going to flip the switch a little bit. Today we're going to conclude the sermon on change, the series on change, but next week I'm going to talk about your worldview. And I'm going to argue next week that, for four weeks, that unless you change the way you view the world, change is impossible. Your worldview, your, that's why I think for some marriage, a good marriage is not, not possible for you. It will never work with anybody. You can marry anybody you want, you can pick them, any, meeny, miny, mo. here's a woman, here's a man, there I go. Anybody you meet is going to resist the fact that you want to hit them when you're mad. If, I, if violence is your approach to solving problems or, or not being financially responsible, you're going to be broke with anybody, even a rich person, because you'll spend all his money too or all of her money. It doesn't matter. It's, it's your worldview. It's the view you have of relationships, the view you have of dealing with people. When you're angry, you let them have it. So that's your worldview. And so that worldview leads to prison, leads to fights, leads to murder, leads to, leads to, leads to. Because you, 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 you insist. This is your, your view of the world. And so I, I want to take you to James. And James is going to show you a lot of things. He's going to show you, for example, that when you have a worldview that doesn't know how to manage difficulties, all difficulties are, are evil and you, you just have a bad attitude towards trouble. You have to learn how to embrace trouble and manage it. I call it managing my dragons. People ask me, how's your day? I say, I'm doing good. Slayed a few dragons today, but I'm doing good. Got a couple more to manage. I understand that that's part of my life. I can't be a pastor of a church with thousands of people and not have dragons. There's always a dragon. You know, something just happened. One of our good members passed uh, just uh, this week, you know, Sister Mary. And so there are a lot of things that just happen sometimes that you just cannot control. You can't control everything. You, you, you have to learn how to manage financial crisis. You have to learn how to manage droughts. There are moments when you don't have enough, and you have to learn how to manage that with a good attitude. You can't go to school and not have a hard class. That's just part of it, right? You know, I was just talking to somebody earlier today about a professor I had in, in my master's program, and one of the things I, I concluded was I said, he um, beat you up with his strength. I don't mind you challenging me, but don't beat me with your strength. I won't beat you with mine. Make it fun. I mean, help me learn, but don't make me run. Is it that hard, students? Ah, oh, boy. 500 pages in a week. Can you breathe? <laughs> no. <laughs> this is unnecessary. It's busy work. Get it done, but that's not the point. Why must you dominate my life? Why can't I have a life and learn, too? And so I, I just think there are certain things that time, times you encounter people and you see as you look and you say to yourself, wow, my worldview, my view of, of trouble, my view of communication, words, you know, James is going to talk to us about how one word can set your whole life on fire. Just one blow-up moment can dis destroy a person's faith. And, and how you work, he'll talk about that. We'll do a whole sermon on how you work. And he talked about... How you, you, can't just, you can't just say things. You have to have works. Faith without works is dead. And how you must align your works with what you say. And, and that's what I've said to people sometimes. I said, well, what you say and what you do is inconsistent. So there's no way this will ever work. And that, that's, that's a courageous moment to say, I will never reach these goals. I will never have, I will never. I can date anybody, go anywhere, move to any city. You can live in Atlanta. You can live in Alabama. You can move to Hinesville. You can move anywhere. You can have the same results 
if you do the same things. And so at some point, you've got to pause and say, is this about where I'm located or is this about me? Am I dragging it with me? And it's, it's, just, it's just you. It's just you. Now, there have been moments. Um, this is a horrible example. I'll, I'll tell you before I say it. It's horrible. It's horrible. What did I say it was? It's horrible. So just, but why are you saying it? Because it makes a point. You know, you've been on the elevator, right? And, and then something happens, right? And you've got to go, somebody does that, you know? You, 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 okay, you catch on. And, and, but you never admit it's you. <laughs> you never say, excuse me, everybody, that was a problem. I apologize. I, you, just, you, just, you stand there and you smile and you just, don't look at me. You know, I'm not going to tell you. It was me. And so people are trying to hold their breath. They're choking. And then when you get off the elevator, it goes with you. If there's something in your life that people, no matter who you deal with, every job, every place you work, they say the same thing. Everybody you date, new wife, old wife, doesn't matter who it is. At some point, your children, their children, all friends, neighbors, everybody, at some point you need to have a courageous conversation with yourself and say, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe I need to change. Maybe I need to look at my worldview. Maybe there's something here that has some value. Maybe. I challenged a pastor this week. I said, ask your kids. Ask your kids what you're like. And I, I love what he said. It was so powerful. He said, he said, you know, Pastor, I, I'm really, and we rarely talk. He just happened to reach out to me this weekend. He said, you know, he said, I'm okay with my kids as long as they don't ever say anything close to they're not happy with what I'm doing. He said, when they, when, they, when they say something that's not really like applauding me, I, I don't do well. I tend to feel like you, you're not being thankful. I'm saying, no, you're not, you're, not, you're not letting them be heard. How can you ever do better if no one can ever say that wasn't fun? How, how can you ever cook better if they sit there and just choke up the food? Well, well, why don't you, this is, this is awful. This is really not that good. It's too spicy or it's too whatever. It's not personal. It's just, well, let's make a different pot. Let's start over again. And, and, and here's, here's the big question for the day. Can you bear that information? Here's what Jesus said. Look at the text with me in your notes. It's in John chapter 16, verse 12. Jesus said this to the disciples near the end of his ministry. He said, I still have many things to say to you. I still, after all these years of being together, guys, almost three years, I still have, have things, many, not a few, many things to say to you. But there's a problem. You cannot bear them now. You cannot bear them now. I have many, many things to say to you, but you cannot possibly bear them now. So that's why today's teaching is called, from this question, repeat it with him, please say, what can't God say to me? What is it impossible to say? Now, you get this because you've got kids, right? And you've got kids, you know, you some things you just can't say right now. You've got, you got, you got staff people that work for you, and you just kind of want to say, hey, okay, this is not going well. But there's a way you have to say it if you want to help the person survive. And you've been that person who didn't get it right on the job right away, and you need somebody to be patient with you. And there's a way, if they're smart, that they engaged you to help you get there. But what's really powerful is, Jesus admits that there are some people that just can't be spoken to. And he told the disciples, he says, you guys, I can't say it. I, I, I just, there are many, many things that I need to tell you, but this is not the time. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. But let me just, if I can, take you on a little journey backwards a little bit. In the series, we talked to you about the importance of how Nehemiah, when he came, no, I'm sorry, Nehemiah, when uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus. And when he came to Jesus, it was this, this incredible conversation uh, that Nicodemus raised with Jesus. He said, you know, I've been looking at you, and literally, Jesus had changed his view. And he asked him a question. He said, how could you possibly, you, you couldn't possibly do what you're doing if God wasn't with you. And he wants to kind of know, okay, he's researching now, and he's trying to figure out, Okay, Jesus, how did you do this? And, so, and he's kind of measuring his own life. And Jesus said, you're a leader of the Jews. You don't know? He says, no, I, I, don't, I don't know how. He says, well, here's how it all starts, Nicodemus. If you really want change in your life, you've got to start over again. 
You'd made the first step, which is good. You researched, right? You came and looked me up. But the second thing you have to do now is you have to start over again. You have to be born again, which means starting fresh. For a guy who's a leader, probably a PhD guy, who's now being told to go back to be a freshman, that's pretty tough. But in that moment, there was a clear challenge to believe something new. It's all about believing. And Jesus says that. And he says, look, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But whosoever believes in him, that was said to Nicodemus. It's something about being clear, sir, that there's, there's a powerful transformation that happens when you believe. And if you don't believe, then you will not see this change that you dream of. Now, what you're seeing when you look at Nicodemus in our study in the past, you see a guy who was exposed to a new message. And we talked about exposure. We talked about how important it is for a person to have exposure. Your belief system is tied to your exposure. That's why you research. That's why I believe God told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, so that you would not just give your wisdom to the world, but the world can give some wisdom to you. Exposure changes the way you think and the way you see the world. But once you're exposed to something and you say you believe it, now the big test is, are you willing to sacrifice? A lot of folks just won't pay the price. They'll agree, oh, that's really good. I need to do that. I need to get in shape. You're right. Boy, that's true. Let's buy the equipment. Let's put it in the house. But getting on the equipment requires the next big word, a decision. You got to decide. I can't decide for you. This is one of the things that you got to be clear, clear about. God will not let me decide for you. God will never, ever, ever let me decide for you. He will get me if I get in the way of your right, because he gave you your life. You decide how you want to live. As a couple, you decide. You know, Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts chapter 5 had a tragic ending because they decided together to lie. They decided together to be deceitful. And some couples have done that. They've decided together. And in, in, that, in that decision comes a tremendous tragedy sometimes. There are many things that God wants to say that he just doesn't get a chance to say to you. Which brings me to three reasons Jesus could not speak to the disciples. Three things that I want you to notice and look at your life and compare yourself to these three things. The first thing I've kind of mentioned already, they could not bear what he had to say. Say that with me, please. Come on. They could not bear what he had to say. He says that. You cannot bear what I'm going to tell you. Secondly, he says they, they were not seasonally ready. I love this. He says... You can't bear it now in this season of your life. Maybe later, but not now. Can you go back in your mind and think of things that you couldn't bear at 16 that you can now or 18 or 20? Can you think back to times when you, if you can go back and even talk to yourself, it would have been impossible to get through because you were not in the season where you could hear it. And then thirdly, he says, you just really need more training. The Holy Spirit's going to come. If you go back with me and notice what he said. He said, if you go back to the top of the page there, I said, I still have many things to say to you. This is John 16, 12. Uh, but you cannot bear them. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will do what? Guide you. That's the training. That's the maturing part. He's going to guide you in all truth. But th that's a process. And so you've got three very profound issues here. First of all, you've got a tolerance issue, okay? You can't, can't reach you because you can't tolerate that kind of direct conversation. You like being late to things and late to work. And if anybody challenges you, you get offended, you know, when the plane leaves you because you, you know. <laughs> you know, one time, one time in Atlanta, late at night, um, I was, um, I think it was Atlanta. I've gotten stuck there many nights. And uh, true, true. And uh, <laughs> true that. <laughs> um, and. I'm a, I'm a million plus miler, and so I've had a whole lot of experiences in airports and planes. And, and one of the um, nights I remember we ran, to, um, we ran to the gate, we got there 10 minutes early, and it already closed the gate. Now when you run from one concourse to the other and you get there 10 minutes early, you think you can get on the plane. So I and a bunch of other people got there the gate was closed. The door was closed. You can't open it up legally. It's federal law. Sorry. 
catch the next plane tomorrow morning. Yeah, we said wow too. <laughs> but I, they got there before me, and they were kind of cussing the people <laughs> at the gate. <laughs> yeah, some of them were pretty animated. And I looked at them, and I thought to myself, hmm, found favorite hotel nearby. Do you have room tonight? I'll be there. Thank you. Catch the tram. Go to the hotel. Go to sleep. Order room service. Wake up in the morning. Fly home. And don't go to jail. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's not, let's not do this. I mean, I, I mean, they didn't say, I mean, I can't change. It's closed. I mean, I want to hear it. Some people have a problem, you know, they, if you cross them in some way, they lose themselves. And, and believe it or not, I think that's part of God's plan for you. Letting people cross you, letting you have awkward moments to show you you. Because you're all happy. This is the day. Thank you, Jesus. Until somebody crosses you. And then all those cuss words you, you know come back. Hello, holy, saved, sanctified, foot with God person. I, I mean, it's not until somebody doesn't pay you back. It's, it's, I don't know if you have anybody. You have anybody borrow money and they didn't pay you back, and then they act like they had amnesia. Anybody had that amnesia? And then, you, then they go buy stuff and show it to you. Isn't that amazing, right? And you say, "I'm sorry, what, what? You got your hair done, right? <laughs> with my fifty dollars, you should have paid me first and let your hair be nappy, right? That's what you're thinking." You know, but she's going to a job interview and she got to get her hair done. You know, so you got all, oh, okay, but the next $50 on the dress, I don't get. You know, so you start, you start, if you're not careful, sometimes the Lord, I believe, allows the thumb of challenge, and we'll talk about this next week, to be in your life to show you you. I always tell the story, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch my time, but I was, I was, I went to, I won't say where, but it was a little town not far from here. And it reminded me of Mayberry RFD. If you know what that is, it's just a country town that you just go, where am I at? Is, there, is, is, the, is, the, is the mayor, the judge, and the, you know, you know what I'm saying? Is he, you just don't know if everybody's got one job or whatever. Anyway, so I go to this town with this member of the church to help him through this moment, and he's got to go to court. And so I go, and I stand with him to support him not to speak, but he ends up asking me to speak. The judge does. I'm thinking, okay, I'm just here, like, you know, like support, emotional support. And so I just said, oh, you're Pastor Rick, and oh, yes, and oh, blah, blah, and then the judge let him off. You know what he told me when we went outside the courtroom? He said, you're better than a lawyer in a courtroom. <laughs> That's the member told right? So the nine the member had to pay a little fee, a little fee, right? So he's when, so I went to the window with him to pay the fee. I just now he is his money. He's gonna pay the fee, right? I'm just so I don't know how I ended up saying something to the lady, and the lady just jumped all over me. Oh man, it was horrible. She was rude and and loud, and and the police officer was standing right there watching this action. And so I'm trying to say, ma'am, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to. I'm just helping him. He and so I don't. And she was in her zone. For reasons I couldn't figure out. I just said hello. Well, when she finished, uh, the officer stepped in. He waited a good three, four minutes. He let me roast for a minute. He said, he saw her set me on fire. And then he said, excuse me, this is Pastor Ricky Temple. And he's just being a help. And he said, and, and then in the end, I looked at him when it was all finished. He said, you know, I stood there for a while to see what you're going to do. That's what he told me. So I want to see if you're real or not. I said, let me see. Let me see. Let me see the man on TV under pressure. Let me see. Yeah, back then I was on TV every day. So I'm thinking, well, dog, you know, well, you could have just dumped in first and stopped her before she got riled up, you know. But sometimes God is, oh, you save. Okay, let it go. Lose your job. There you go. Bam. Let's see where your faith is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got your little 50,000. Now you're down to 30,000. Now you're down to 20,000. Now you're down to 10. <laughs> Five, count to four, three. And you said, Jesus, do you see these numbers, God? 
and then the devil get in your car and the motor blow up. Oh, the devil is alive. Now I got a charge. Oh, and then <laughs> crying start dropping off. Yes, Lord. Now let's see where your faith is. Come on, talk to me, somebody. Sometimes in life, it is in those moments you see that you need training. And Jesus said, guys, you can't bear much. Can't talk to you at this season. So we got to just wait it, wait it out. And sometimes, believe it or not, that is the question. How much more time do you need before you mature enough to tolerate what you need to tolerate? Okay, let's watch what God's already done for you. Ready? Okay, he put this all together for you. You know this is all for you, right? This church, millions of dollars. Just be clear. Okay, this is not cheap. You know, you put it all together, property, land, staff. You know, staff. You got to pay people. You know, took me out of my life. 60% of my life has been doing this for you. That's why I'm here. I'm here as a servant. That's, that's really what I'm here for. Uh, there won't be any preachers in heaven because we'll be unemployed, at least as far as this stuff goes. It's all direct by then. It's called direct mail when you get to heaven. <laughs> you don't need me to interpret or explain the Bible to you. There won't be any Bible. won't be to just be God. How about an amen to that, huh? So, so you, know, you like that part. All right. But you got me for now, okay? So anyway, <laughs> I mean, you do. Really, God put a system in place, honestly, where people like me, and he just says, no, I want a church and a pastor and leadership, and I want you to have parents and leaders. So it's all different now. When you get to heaven, all that changes. No mother, father, everybody's like, there's none of that. All that leadership stuff is over. He's leading everything. So everything is different. And when that happens, when the world changes, and everything now is targeted toward you and God, God looks back and says, when I did reach you, okay, spent all that money, put all that gospel music together, all those conferences together, why didn't it work to change you? How much more do you want me to invest? Parents say that, right? Okay, let's see. I fed you, housed you, clothed you. Okay, right? Bought you car to, Okay, so now what else do I need to do, 16-year-old? I'm sorry, I'm trying to understand. What have I not done? What is it? And I'm not saying parents have an attitude, but do, do think about this for a minute. After all of God's investment in you, why haven't you changed? Here's why. Because you have made some decisions that I'll talk about in a little bit, that make change not possible. You can't say he didn't invest enough. I'm always fascinated. I was watching this young lady the other day talking about how she had this series of situations in her life. She had some abortions, and she said, I was just mad with God, mad with, mad with everybody. And I thought to myself, girlfriend, how could you be mad with him? You dated all the guys, you had the babies. What, what does he have to do with that? He made his investment. Jesus came and died on the cross. Help me understand your complaint. So you're mad with God because your life is jacked up. Okay, uh, who jacked it up? Who fell in love with who? Earl, Bob, Susie Mae. Who was it? You picked them, right? Kissed them, hugged them. Okay, don't, don't, you know the rest of the story. Why would God be blamed because you don't have money? Uh, you spent it, right? Charged it, charged it, charged it, swipe, swipe, swipe. I'm trying to understand. Cards in your pocket. How is it that God, you, you mad because your car's wrecked? Who was driving? I'm just trying to understand how in the world could that be true? Is, the, is your argument that he hasn't made enough investment in you? He allowed this to happen to you. No, he didn't. Your parents did. He put you under their rule. They, okay, so then, then who, who did it to your parents and who did it to their parents? And I mean, trace it to wherever you want to trace it. Why, why is it that somehow you can't see that he's made a big investment already? Have you ever done a lot for somebody and they still say it's not enough? Have you ever loaned somebody a lot of money and they come back for more? Have you ever just said, are you right confused? And then get an attitude when I say no. It's really fascinating. Okay, you live in my house. I'm sorry. Help me understand this. You pay no bills, blah, blah, blah. You pay no, no, buy food. Don't, and you're asking me for money, and I say no, so you're mad with me because I said no. Help me understand that. Help me figure that out. Now, you may not get that now, but as you get older, and look at the preacher for a second. Hang with me. When you, when you get older, you will discover that they don't have to. Now, I'm not, this is not beat down on your kids. Some of your parents will say, I hope you're listening to the pastor. No, I hope you're listening. I'm not really talking about your kids. That's only a, a slight illustration. 
God had far more, you'll love this, God had far more trouble with adults than with youth, youth and teenagers. All the people in the Bible that had a bad problem and that bad attitude were older people. They were adults. Follow me. Adam and Eve were? Talk to me, somebody. Cain slew Abel and he wasn't at what? Thank you very much. Abraham, when he lied about that woman, he was a what? Thank you very much. He and Sarah, you're with me? Are you tracking so far, right? Jacob's brothers, right, put him in slavery. Jacob was the 11th out of 12 brothers. And, every, and he was 17 when he comes into the scene. Everybody over him was 18 plus. They were what? And they sold him into slavery. Not young people. Sorry. Ha. Not, not, not. Moses was 40 years old when he killed that guy. He was a what? And then he hid the man in the sand and pretended nothing happened. He ran, right, and lived for 40 years in Midian and didn't start his ministry to deliver them out of Egypt until he was 80. And that is a what? Adult. And when he had the temper tantrum, he was over 100 years old. Had to be because he was 80 years old when he started his ministry. He was in the wilderness for 40 years. He died at 120. Are you tracking with me? He had that temper tantrum over 110 years old. He was a what? Adult, thank you very much. Am I not done? No, keep rolling through the Bible. Elijah, when he walked out and said, I'm not preaching anymore, he was a what? Thank you very much. Solomon, when Solomon decided he wanted all them women and all those wives, he was a what? Thank you very much. Keep rolling. We got a whole lot more people we can talk about. All 12 disciples were what? And when Jesus was on the cross, they all ran. Thank you very much. And who crucified Jesus? Adults. No teenagers mentioned. I'm sorry. The kids are in the world. Our problem is these young people. The teenagers. Not in the Bible. They don't start the wars. They ain't got that much money. They ain't in the president. They ain't the vice president. They ain't no office. They, ain't, they, have no, they have no boats. They can't ship anything anywhere. They can walk drugs from one side of town to the other, but they don't have cars. And if they got them, most of the time they're raggedy. It's not a, if they get the drugs from adults. Are you with me? The drugs ship them in. The, it's the adults. Why are you blaming children? It's not children. It's grown people who know better. I'm preaching real good. Come on, give God a big hand clap. I'm telling the truth. Wrong people. All them speeches to young people. You need to stop all that. God's already made an investment in you adults. You know better. You know better. Adults made pornography. 80% of it was made in, in Van Nuys and the San Stanford and the Valley. Not far from the church I used to pastor when I was pastoring both churches. Adults on Playboy. Adults. Adults are on the news fighting each other. Adults. Adults. In government. The Senate's made up of adults. The Congress is made up of adults. You might wonder sometimes, but it's the truth. <laughs> it's adults. It's adults that launching missiles from one place to the other. It's adults blowing themselves up. It's adults putting, putting children belts on young folks. It's adults fighting over religion. It was adults who led all the wars between the Protestants and the Catholics to kill all those thousands of people. It was adults. Adults had slavery. Adults. Civil War. Adults. Kill Lincoln. Adults. Kill King. Adults. Kill Robert Kennedy. Adults. Why are you blaming the children? The problem is you have adults who never grew up. That's the problem. And let the church say amen. Amen. I thought I'd close this with um, my own testimony, and I'm okay. I'll make it here. I thought it'd be fun for me to say, well, Pastor Rick, since you're talking about things that are hard to bear, what was hard for you to bear? What couldn't God say to you? There were three things. Three things that were really difficult for me to hear in my life. One was uh, my life calling and purpose. I never thought I'd be a pastor, ever. I thought I used to think it's for people in their 30s, old people in their 30s. That was my opinion. <laughs> I get in my 30s and I'm almost dead. I'll 
consider starting that. Honestly, that was my view. You know, in your 20s, you think one way, and you, you look, you know, that's how I saw it. In my teens and 20s, that's how I saw it. I, I never, ever dreamed this, ever. And you might ask, say, well, how did you get here? He tricked me. No, he did. God, God knew. He said, I can't, I can't tell you that. If I tell him, if I tell Ricky, he's going to be a pastor. He's going to say no. You know, if you, if you ask, even simple things like marriage, if you ask me, if you said to me when I was 18, 19 years old, if you said, or even 20, if you said uh, 21, if you asked me, say, well, uh, ask me this question, say, so when are you going to get married? I would say my standard answer was, how do you spell that? <laughs> no, that's what my standard, I'm, I'm kidding you. If you talk to me when I was 18, 19, 20, maybe 21 even, I would say, how do you spell that? I said, that's an M, there's an M in there, and I think that stands for money, it's costing money. Yeah, right, A for attitudes, a lot of attitudes in that, you know. <laughs> I, I had my little answers, my little comebacks, and I, I just didn't understand, because I, I, I grew up in a single-parent home, it, it, didn't, uh, it didn't appeal to me. I couldn't name a bunch of married people I knew that were happy. So I never, I, I never could see myself. So what God had to do was create a series of circumstances and exposures that showed me things I never thought were possible. He had to move me slowly down a road and help me grow and see, no, Temple, this is possible. He introduced me to Diane. He introduced me to people, introduced me to people and he changed my view. And he had to take me, for me, the, 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 the college path for me, was, was studying theology was the salvation of my mind. It was the place where I already loved it in 16 and 17. I had some exposure. But it was something about the college experience for me that was really revolutionary. It, it, it gave me a love for reading. It gave me a love for learning. It, it, it showed me potentials I had that I didn't know that I had. I never thought I could do that. My potential skills were way, way beneath. So what God did was he said, what I want to do I'm going to take this guy, I'm going to introduce him to this whole new family of people, and, I, I wanted, I, and, and for me, God, God's plan was I wanted to be multicultural, so I'm going to put him in this predominantly white denomination for a while, you know, and I want him to, I want him to be a part of this, and, I want him to, and I want him, I'm going to put him in some Asians and some, some Indonesians and some, some Japanese, and, so, and I'm going to broaden his vision, I'm going to broaden his worldview. And what's going to happen is slowly I'm going to guide him to this new place. So for example, here's how the trick started, right? So, so you, know, you, you know, if you've got kids, you know how to decide you have to do things, right? You've got to kind of move them to that, that direction, right? So uh, I graduated from college. I got married Diane in my senior year, and then I graduated from college. And when I graduated from college, uh, they asked me, they said, well, do you want to, what, what part of the country do you want to go to? And, and I said, well, you know, I, don't, I didn't, uh, I don't know, but uh, I, I want to go someplace in California. That's what I said. And so I married Diane, and Diane said, oh, man. Won't you talk to the people in the southeast first? I said, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've been in, I, I was born in Savannah, but raised in L.A., Los Angeles, and so I'd only been here for like two years. You know, we had that move home thing. You know, we came home for two years. I went to high school here for two years, and then we moved back to L.A., and I graduated. I didn't, I didn't, I said, but in those two years, I fell in love with Savannah. I did. But I didn't want to move back. I met Diane here. I came here for, I was here, I was here on a preaching tour. I met Diane. And so she fell in love with me, so I married her. But it was really amazing. <laughs> it was you need to fo focus, people. Focus. I'm in the spirit right now. So, 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 are you back? Are you back? Okay, thank you very much. So, anyway, so I, I met Diane on this great, you know, so, so it was a great town for me. I mean, I, and, and I know that, okay, let me help some of you. Okay, I met her and I fell in love with her. Okay, fine. Now, get it over. All right? Now, I got to fix it because I can some of you are stuck. Go back and fix that. Okay. Anyway, so... You know, in the end of the day, you know, I, I came here, I, I fell in love, but when we got married, I moved her to, to Los Angeles, and I didn't ever plan to come back here, ever, ever in life. I told her on the drive away, she was, they were in Sandra's back there, she's crying, Aisha, her knee, Chris is leaving us, and I was saying, tell him bye. <laughs> I did. I was, it was cold. That was cold. I said, you won't see him for five years. I met that. What? Come back. Back in those days, there wasn't no fly money. And drive, you know, you know what I mean? You know, we flying back, you know, like you got money now. You just, I'm going to fly home. No, it was drive home. And from here to L.A., it takes one time to do that. And you know why you don't, you don't drive that every day. And so we got there, man. And so I graduated. And then she, um, I, we got married um, in December of my senior year. And, and so by May, May, I've, 
we're picking where we're going to go. And she says, how about go to the Southeast people? I thought, no, why? When I go to them, we're not going there. And she says, just talk to them. That's the trick. So I go in there, and I said, okay. Didn't I never talked to the California people. I went there, and, and they offered me the world. Angels start singing, dance singing. Everybody singing Kumbaya, Lord. And, and I'm, just, I'm just listening. The guy said things. Now, listen carefully. Now, listen. You got to listen carefully. How much you listen? Carefully. Okay, give me 10 more minutes of your life. Carefully. I'm going to go a little long now, but just give me 10 more minutes. Carefully listen. This is what happened. So I go in there, right, and I, uh, the guy says, oh, man, we want, look for somebody just like you. And, you know, you'd be amazing and want you to move to Charlotte, North Carolina. And we're going to, you know, you can go to camp, touch hundreds of kids, work in a snack shack. And you can be amazing. It's going to be amazing. We're going to be an assistant pastor in a church. And you're going to just, it's going to be amazing. You're going to be so good at what you, and wow, you can start a church. And it's, it's amazing. You can do all kinds of good things can happen. And we'll, do, we'll, we'll, we'll move you there. And we'll give you, you know, six months of, of salary, you know, of, of payment for your rent and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's going to be great. And will give you a stipend and Something I'm thinking, okay. And so all of a sudden, you know, the angels are singing. And you can't hear nothing. You miss the details. So then we, Diane's happy. Diane said, oh, yeah, this is good. And so she's, she's gorgeous and, and little eyes looking at me. <laughs> you know, she's trying to get back home to her mama. That's what she's trying to do. She's trying to get back at the South. So and I'm just sitting there going, all right, all right, you know, new husband, all right, all right, we're going to give it a shot. We're going to go on to Charlotte. So I go to Charlotte. Anybody from Charlotte? Anybody, anybody been to Charlotte? You know, all, you, know, you know, in Charlotte, you're trying to get around in Charlotte. It's tough, isn't it? Them streets run all together and everything. I never could find my way around Charlotte. Good people, and I love Charlotte. But, but, but anyway, so I went. Went there, got there. And when I got there, I, you know, camp, I didn't realize that they, it was in a, was in a bungalow. And, and it, the bathroom was down the way. I didn't know that either. It, that wasn't in the conversation. And, they were in the, and the room was up against the woods. Some could run out the woods and run and get you. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't tell me that either. See, I didn't know that. And then when they were talking, remember I told you they said snack shack? And I didn't know that was working in the snack shack. <laughs> I didn't know that meant selling candy to kids. I didn't know that. I didn't know. No, it didn't. They told me ministry to people. I thought hundreds of people. Yes, and you want two cans, two bars, or one. You want ice cream or soda. I was selling stuff. We were working in the snack shack. That didn't, it didn't, it didn't register. Okay, I'm an angel singing. Didn't hear any of this. And so then after we work in the snack shack, it was four weeks of this. Five weeks, almost the whole summer. How long was that thing? It was the summer? It was a long time. Hot. And then, so after, you know, going to the communal bathroom, every time you want to go back to the middle, go out, you got to go down, the, down that, that way. And everybody's in there, hey, hey, you know, it's this. <laughs> so after living through that, and then we go to the church, and they didn't tell me the church had 80 people. I thought it was a big church. I said, assistant pastor, I thought we had a lot of people. We didn't have but 80 people, and they were always into something. It was always a demon or something. It was a lot of activity. Those 80 people weigh you down. I mean, it was rough. One week we had demon problems. Lady called me and said, I see, Pastor Ricky, I see a demon. I said, where is he? Hanging off my curtain. I said, close it. I told her to close it. <laughs> Another one, next week we had a demon-possessed person. She was at the church. And they told me, the pastor called me and said, we got a demon-possession problem. And they, like they fell the Ghostbusters. Damn, this is the truth. He said, he said, he said I, want you, I want you to go. I want you to meet me at the church. So we, I run. I'm, now, he lives next door. Where does the pastor live? next door. I live down the street. How did I beat the pastor to the church? <laughs> True story. True story. I go there and I'm sitting there and, and so I get in there and this girl, she's sitting there going <laughs> she's making sounds. <laughs> this is true. She goes <laughs> I said, well, Jesus, where the pastor? Where the pastor? I'm not the pastor. They needed somebody to deal with this situation. <laughs> I felt like I was in a movie. Man, it was terrible. And then, then, then she asked me this question. Have you ever dealt with anything like this before? I said, let me ask me no questions. If you got the devil, I don't. <laughs> Demon interviewing me. Am I qualified? I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, it was just a lot of stuff going on. So, so, then when I, so I get there, right, and, and they'll, they'll tell you stuff. So, for example, they didn't tell me anything about cutting the lawn either. That was part of the deal. Yeah, there's 80 people. Somebody got to cut the grass. I'm out there, and I'm back graduating from college. I'm cutting grass. And then they told me I had an office, and they didn't tell me it was the closet. The closet, 
It was a closet. It was a closet. They cut the lights on in the church. It was a closet. They put a desk in there. It was a closet. And then remember, I told you they said they're going to help me for six for six months. Yeah, yeah, it was six months. How many months did they promise me? Six months. They didn't say a year. So four months they called. The pastor said, uh, "Remember, I told you about starting the church." They said, "Hey, did you find a building? A building for what?" <laughs> I'm full time. I'm wearing a suit every day. And I'm, I'm feeling successful, even though I wouldn't make much money. Now, they're paying all my utilities, right? They're paying all for, so they moved me there, so I'm feeling good. You want to know what my salary was? Okay, let's vote. How many want to know what I made? Raise your hand. Some of you scared to know. You don't want to know, do you? You ready? Okay, hold on. They gave me $200 a month as a stipend. That's what the church could afford. And I said, yeah, watch your eyes. Her eyes were like this, $200. That was it. Diane had to get a little job washing bottles for a lab. And so she was doing lab work. Washing bottles at the lab, and I'm $200. At least my rent's paid. I don't have any bills or anything like that. Everything was going okay. You know, you're young. You know, you're early 20s. You ain't worried about nothing. You're working for God, you know. And, uh, and of course, God's going to provide. So they, but they asked me about starting a church. I said, start a church. I was just dying, and I will not know anybody. Well, what, what we're going to do? 80 people here. We can't take any of these people. <laughs> so, 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 so finally... You know, it, it came to a point where I, I thought, well, maybe they didn't mean that. They're going to extend it. He said, oh, no, we meant it. <clears throat> they gave me a month extension. So, you know, somehow, in, I told you God tricked me into this thing. I told you all. So what happens around the, around the sixth month, you realize, okay, something's happening now. Things is changing. And, uh, this, and my mama taught me to take charge of your life. I was raised right. Now, I was raised to be tough. I was raised to work. I wasn't raised to be let, relying on people. And so I knew, I saw the light, the, the writing on the wall. You need a job, dude. You need to do something. This is not working out. You know, and then you travel. I said, well, I travel and preach. They give you $75, you know, $25 for preaching. I went to one church one time, and the guy said, he said, if you enjoyed the young man, you enjoy. He was fabulous. Wasn't he? If anybody want to give him something, come on up here. And about five people got up. I said, oh, no, all y'all need to get up. All of you, everybody in the church needs to get up. Yeah, five people. I'm not kidding you. They got, gave me like $75, $50. I said, well, I can't live off this. You know, we can't. What is this? This is not going to work. So I, so I said, I got to do something. And then, and this is really going to surprise you. Don't tell anybody this. This is true. Right in the middle of all that, Ricky show up. Now, and, uh, that's exactly right. You caught up. You figured it up. You, Ricky show up. Now, Ricky, it ain't time for you, Ricky. Ain't no money. And then the doctor tell me how much it's going to cost to have him because we didn't have any insurance. Breathe again. Yes, it's bad. It's six, seven. Countdowns. It's five, four, three, two, one. And so now... Okay, I'm in Charlotte. We broke. We're going broke by the head. Bro- and okay, so what we're gonna do? Well, here's what we do. Tell them, Ricky, you can't come right now. Get Ricky back. That's it. Ricky, <laughs> Ricky can't come. There's no money for Ricky to come now. So this is this is so you know what I did? I picked up the phone. I said, well, you know, and and, and I backtrack. Now I told you that God brought me brought me here for two years, right? High school. And that was for me to, to see the city. So I fall in love. Fast forward, I go to college, right? I go to college, I have an instructor, his name is John Emstutz. He's my, what I call now, he's my, he's my theological advisor. He's amazing, smart guy. Bring, bring him down, he let you hear him, he's amazing. And so John teaches me a class called Missions. And in this Missions class, he has this little assignment. You have to have a journal, a prayer journal. And you pray for a place you love. Well, guess what I pray for? Savannah. Here's the prayer I prayed. Ready? The prayer goes like this. Father, bless us. So you, you had to write down the city you prayed for and what you were praying that God would do in that city. And when God did it, you checked it off, right? So Savannah was my city. I was praying for her. And I said, Father, I want you to bring revival. Send leaders to Savannah. God, send somebody there that can make a difference. I didn't have any idea. He's talking about me. <laughs> so fast forward, Charlotte, countdown, seven months coming. What are you going to do, Temple? You're going to evangelize, get a little $75 here or there. What are you going to do? Take charge of your life? What are you going to do? No, I wanna, I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher guy, let's, let's pastor. So I called Diane's mom and I said, Diane, I said, listen, um, I'm gonna move, we're going to move from Charlotte, go to Savannah, and we're going to pastor, we're going to start a church. She said, oh, no, you're not. Dude, you're going to take this church. We've been praying for you. We want you to come be our pastor. And so here I am in Jesus' name. Isn't that amazing? Amazing story. I told you that's how God got me into this. He couldn't, I couldn't bear the call. He couldn't just tell me. I had to go through all those different experiences, and, and, and God showed me. He showed me how to survive. He showed me how to survive on a little bit of money. He showed me how to make it when I didn't have much. He showed me. If I have anything now, don't be too impressed because I know what it's like not to have anything. 
When I came here, the church couldn't even afford to give me a house. I had to live with Diane's mom for six months. I did pay rent. <laughs> and I said, I want my boy to be born in his own place. And so I had to go get a job down at, I, I, I preached and made some good money preaching for a while. And then that ran out after a few months. And then I had to get me a job, another job. I had to go down and get me a job. It was around the summertime, I remember. Rick was born in July and I had to get a job. I had to get a job at M&M Groceries, bagging, not bagging groceries, um, shelving, stock, stock, yeah. I used to love watching those guys with those cans until I had to lift them myself. <laughs> but in that moment, God taught me. And after that, things grew. God blessed. And I didn't have to say for a couple, three months. But in that time, I got my apartment, moved Ricky and I on apartment. And I was determined. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't easy. It wasn't simple. But I couldn't see my purpose. I didn't see my potential skills. I didn't know my load-bearing potentials. I thought that if I did certain things, it would hurt me. But here's what God said in Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give unto you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Say this big words. We say nothing. Nothing. nothing shall by any means hurt you. But it's all about your faith. According to your faith, if you can believe that you can do it, it you can do it. It's all about having the right load-bearing perspective. God had to show me, lead me, teach me through challenge and difficulty that I can bear it. I can deal with this. And so I'm here. There are three things, though, that stop some people from changing. Three things that get in your way. Number one is rebellion, Romans 8, 7. Your mind is not subject to God, the Bible says. Rebellion often is the thing that stops us from changing. Romans 8, 7 is a profound verse. Our mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The natural us will rebel against God. That's what he says. Sometimes it's our free will. Romans 5 and 12. One man chose, Adam, to sin. And we, like Adam, joined in. Sometimes you can't change because you've made a decision not to change. And that is, listen to me carefully. Look at the preacher. That is your right. Pastoring all these people, I've learned one big lesson. I don't make you change. I, I watch you like a movie. Give me the popcorn. There's nothing I can do but watch and pray for you. I cannot own your consequences. I cannot, listen to me, I cannot own the results you've created for yourself. Financially, spiritually, emotionally, I am not responsible for all of them. I help where I can, but I am not going to own your life. That is unfair to me and it's not fair to you. And here's, what, here's what's true. God won't let me. He will, he, will, he will drain me dry and punish me if I go too far. I cannot own your life. If you're going to talk your way to a divorce, there's nothing I can do about it. Proverbs 14, 1, ladies. A wise woman builds her house. A foolish woman will pluck it down with her hands. Fuss and cuss your way out of a relationship. That's fine. If that's what you want, baby girl, go for it. Pastor will not be able to stop you. I've been here a long time. Brother, man, if you're going to sleep around and do what you do, there's nothing I can do to stop you. That is your choice. Tied to pornography, tied to the walls, tied to all those lustful thoughts. Don't want to deal with it. You don't want to have a courageous conversation, make some changes. What can I do? Spend your money like you spend it. There's nothing I can do. Nothing. I counsel leaders all day long, and I say the same thing to them. I can't stop you. And I can't spend my life trying to. It's not fair for you to make yourself somebody's lifetime assignment. Every time they see you, they got to encourage you. I'm not against encouraging people. I do it all the time. But at some point, you've got to change. And lastly, sometimes they won't get rid of the weights. Hebrews 12. Lay aside every weight and sin that does easily beset you. Things that can get in your way and throw you off. You know what they are. You got to lay them aside. Courageous conversations. What can't God say to you? I went too long, 49 minutes. You okay still? Yeah. Hope so. God bless you. Father, I thank you today in Jesus' name for what we've talked about. I thank you that you have helped us have a courageous conversation today. 
So we come and we say, thank you. We come and we say, God, you and you alone are the one who deserves the glory and the honor. Help us embrace courageous conversations. For some, the next study in James is going to really challenge their worldview. And they're going to take a step back and say, maybe I'm seeing it wrong. And Lord, I pray that in this year, there will be a rising tide of power and courage to go in the right direction. Even if we're stumbling and falling forward, at least we're moving forward. Like John Maxwell said in his book, failing forward. Let me fail forward, not backwards. I may cry, I may hurt, I may feel lonely, I may be isolated, I may lose a few friends along the way, I may lose a relationship along the way, but I must fail forward. I cannot allow myself to be lost in the past. And I must understand this is my life. God gave me. It's not my daddy's job to fix it. It's not my mama's job to fix it. It's not the pastor's job to fix it. It's Jesus' job to fix it. And all he needs is my cooperation. And I need to follow the Spirit and say, Father, what should I say? What should I do? What is, here's my money. Here's my time. Here's my body. Here's my mind. I surrender it all to you. And I trust you with my life. So, God, I give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed. After hearing the sermon today, you'd say, Pastor, what you said spoke to me in a way that made me think about my life. And I realize that I have not been walking with God. I, I, I work to be a good person, but I, I, need, I need God in my life. I, wanna, I want to start, like Nicodemus, start fresh. I want to start new that born-again conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus about starting over. So, Lord, you'd say, Lord, I want Pastor Rick to pray for me today because I want to start fresh. Whether you're here or home, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, that's me, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Say, pray for me, Pastor. I see your hand. Anybody else say, I see your hand. I see you, 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 you. Leave them up so I can pray for you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Let me see you again. Ten. 11, where are you? God bless you. 12, thank you. Father, I pray for all these. Every hand lifted in the building, please. Every hand lifted, please. Everybody lift your hands with me. Father, pray for the, I pray for these who come and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Whether they're home or here, let this be a transforming moment. May they be, it be a memorial weekend for them. A weekend they'll always remember that this was the day I prayed to pray. Even if I didn't raise my hand, I'm now raising my heart and I'm saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need to make a direction change. I can't change myself. In the study, Lord, you said, we, without you, John 15, we can't do anything. And so we lay before you our weaknesses, our strengths, and we pray that this would be the beginning of a new life. And for some, it's a rededication of your life, a dedication of your life to God, a commitment of your life to God, where you say, I need him, and I'm committed now growing and learning and failing forward in Jesus' name. And everyone say amen. Are you glad you came? I hope you, hope you had a good time. Praise God. If you would please go